Welcome to the Speaking Your Lingo podcast, where my goal is to help this generation think well. My name is Shane Lingo, and I'm happy to be back with you all today. After taking a little bit of a break, some time off, um, and by a little bit of a break, I mean quite a long break, but super excited to be back with you all and have a lot planned for the future, a lot of episodes that I'm really looking forward to, and a lot of things in the work for the new year. So you can be looking forward to that. But today, I'm particularly excited to be jumping into a special Christmas episode as we talk about the story behind one of the most influential, and yet I would say kind of a lesser known Christmas carol today, or at least less listened to, probably less talked about. And that Christmas carol is, I Heard the Bells, on Christmas Day. So let's jump in. Now, the first time I remember hearing the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, was the year after I graduated high school. And so this was back in, I mean, I graduated high school 2007, and so this was about 2008. And so if I'm doing my math correctly, that's about 15 years ago, the year that my wife and I got married. And one of the the albums that I bought during that time period was, and this was still when you usually bought music on iTunes, um, or you actually bought the CD, right? We didn't have, not as many people are using Spotify and things like that back, back during that time. But uh, I had this CD that I was listening to on repeat during the Christmas season by Casting Crowns. And they had this version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, and it's the first version that I can remember hearing. And to this day, this is still my favorite version of the song. Now, this song has been recorded more times than I can count. I, as I was looking it up and doing research, I listened to a ton of different versions of this song, and there's a version for everyone. So if you don't like the, the Casting Crowns version that I like, and I'm going to go ahead and put a link to that in the show notes uh, so you can give it a listen later on. But um, if you don't like that version, there's plenty of other versions out there of this song. And um, what I want to do today is I want to talk about the, the history of this song. Where did this song come from? Because a few years ago, I got the opportunity to hear the history behind how this carol came to be. And this is one of those things where hearing the history, knowing the history behind the song actually brings so much more significance to the song that it allows you to enjoy the song on kind of another level. And so to start, this song was initially a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And you might remember that name either from school in the past or if you're someone who really enjoys poetry. Um, because Longfellow, who was born in February 27th of 1807, was the most popular American poet of the 19th century. And you may know of him from poems such as Paul Revere's Ride. Uh, this was written in 1863. And, you know, it starts like this. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. And maybe for some of you as you're listening, the rest of the poem is going through through your mind. At the school that I work at, all of our fourth graders actually have to memorize the entire poem. And um, as I look at this poem, if you were to go look it up, it is a long poem. So it's no small feat for a, a fourth grader to be able to memorize this poem. Um, but each and every single year, fourth graders at the, the school that I work for, they memorize and they, they recite this, this poem. Uh, but a few interesting things about Longfellow himself. 
Besides being a poet, he was also a professor and the first American to completely translate Dante's Divine Comedy. And that's no small feat. I mean, I'm just trying to read Dante's Divine Comedy right now, and I'm in the the first third of it, and it's it's enough. So to think about translating it is amazing. Um. But I'm kind of getting off here. But he he translated the entire uh, Divine Comedy. And as far as I know, he's the first American to actually do that. And so as we think about Longfellow, obviously, he was a very bright and influential person. Uh, in many ways, he was a man who had experienced great success throughout his life um, as a poet, as a professor, uh, as a writer. Uh, I, I believe I was as I was doing some research, he actually had written a textbook by the time he was in his early 20s, if not a, a little bit sooner. And so um, this was a man that had experienced great success. And yet, if you were to look at Longfellow's life, you could almost argue that he he experienced even greater pain. And to give an example of this, while he was enjoying the fruits of his success, working at Harvard, building a successful career, building a name for himself, Longfellow experienced the death of his first wife, Mary. Uh, And she died at a young age of just 23 years old, and she died from complications after having a miscarriage. And so during the next seven years of his life, Longfellow would invest his time and his attention, all of it, pretty much into his teaching in order to deal with this heartache. And eventually, he would remarry his second wife, Frances Appleton, and so he would move on. But you kind of see this this roller coaster life is what it feels like as you're looking from the outside of great successes, and then in some ways, it feels like even greater pain. Now, after he had married his second wife, Frances Appleton, in this season of life, it seems like he he kind of hits a stride again. Things Things are going well. Um, he's writing some of his most famous poems and living in kind of the benefits that, that come with wealth and success. And during this season of his life, he and his wife shared the joy of having five children, bringing five children into the world. Um, and, uh, both that in itself is joyful and as a parent challenging, and in some ways you could say, say painful, but this is a season where, where things, again, you look at his life and it's going really well and it's filled with hope and it's filled with this gift of life. And then you move on in his story. And how could you imagine that the, the year of 1861 would be filled with such sadness and grief again? Because in July of that year, Longfellow would tragically experience the death of his second wife. And so Fanny Longfellow, uh, what ends up happening is she's lighting a match and suddenly her dress catches fire and the next day she actually dies of her injuries. And I was actually able to find a news article, this old news article that was published the day after the incident happened that I want to read that uh, gives us some insight into what happened during this time. And so this was written in the Boston Daily Advisor, July 11th of 1861. And it says, A sad accident, which proved fatal yesterday forenoon, befell Mrs. Fanny Longfellow, wife of Professor Henry W. Longfellow, at their residence in Cambridge on Tuesday afternoon. While seated at her library table, making seals for the entertainment of her two young children, a match or piece of lighted paper caught her dress, and she was in a moment enveloped in flames. Professor Longfellow, who was in his study, ran to her assistance and succeeded in extinguishing the flames with considerable injury to himself, but too late for the rescue of her life. 
Doctors Wyman and Johnson of Cambridge and Henry Bigelow of this city were summoned and did all that surgical skill could do. Both of the sufferers were under the influence of ether through the night and yesterday morning. Mrs. Longfellow rallied a little, but at 11 o'clock, she was forever released from her suffering. Mrs. Longfellow was a gifted and accomplished lady, the daughter of Han Nathan Appleton. She leaves five children to mourn with their father. Their common loss, Professor Longfellow's injuries, though serious, are not of a dangerous kind. Wow, you you read this story and I can't imagine the pain of this tragedy and then the burden that Longfellow's now going to have to carry of being responsible for his five children after this event. I mean, if it wasn't enough, Longfellow now had to deal with the devastating reality that he is a, a single father and he has to comfort his children after their mother had died such a, in, in such a horrible way. And so this is a season, again, where you see the, this, this pain in his life. And if it feels like or if it seems like things couldn't really get any worse, in one sense they do because now you have the reality of the Civil War that's going to hit. And the Civil War had started just a few months prior to Fanny's, his, his second wife's death. And so now you have the, this war and Henry Longfellow, if you've read any of his work and if you've, you've studied anything about him, he was a man who loved his country. And so the fact that there was this civil war with the, the country fighting against itself, Americans fighting against Americans tore him up. And on, on, sorry, not July, but on March 27th of 1863, Henry Sung Charles was actually commissioned as a second lieutenant in the first Massachusetts Cavalry. And so his son is now going to war, fighting in this war that's tearing him apart. On December 1st, Henry uh, Wadsworth Longfellow is going to receive a telegram. And in this telegram, he's going to receive the news that his son Charles had actually been severely wounded in the war. And so it just feels like as you're you're listening to this, as you're thinking about his story, it's like, can the man even come up for air? And at this point in his story, his faith in God is going to be yet again challenged by the reality of the, the pain and the sorrow of recognizing that his son has been injured in this war. Now, um, when we look at his injuries, if you're to, to, to look back at his injuries, his son was actually almost paralyzed because of where the bullet went through and it went through in his back and barely missed his spine and, and, and all that. And so, um, we, we find that his, his son has these, these severe injuries. And so it's at this point in Longfellow's story, reflecting on where he's been, his first wife dies, and then feels like he's, he's, he comes up for air. And then his second wife dies this this horrible death and he's left with these five children and then you have the the civil war that starts in his country it feels like it's falling apart and then his son is injured and it's against this backdrop that he's going to sit down and he's going to write a poem the poem that's going to be inspired by church bells ringing um in this poem it's going to start with with the church bells and it's going to start with a sense of irony and despair but as we're going to see, it's also going to end in victory and hope. And so with that, let me read Longfellow's original poem. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. 
and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of the Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if in an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pilled the bells. More loud and deep, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What I love about this poem is the honest question that Longfellow implies. Where is the peace on earth? Where is God's concern for his people? A question in the midst of pain and suffering that many of us have asked in our lives. And he finds the answer. He finds the answer in the God who will one day bring justice by righting all of the wrongs. A poem that starts with the greatest despair and yet ends with the greatest hope. And that's the reality of Christmas that we get to celebrate during this time of year. That among the brokenness and the chaos in the world around us, the King of Kings came down in the form of a little baby. God took on flesh to bring hope to our world and to bring light to our world. And so that's my hope in this season and really in all seasons. When it seems like life is throwing a lot at you or the world seems like it's in chaos, uh, you're experiencing pain and suffering and, and just the weight of the world on you, that you would reflect on this, this song and the reality that when we ask questions like, where is the peace on earth? Where is God's concern for us? That he answers that question on Christmas. That he answers that question by sending his son to the world and ultimately sending his son to the world that he would one day die and give his life for us. Well, as we get ready to wrap up today's episode, I want to encourage you to go and to listen to this beautiful poem turned song. I heard the bells on Christmas day until next time. Merry Christmas. And I'll see you on.